Amen. Thank you so much. God indeed is Lord of heaven and earth. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And if you have trouble finding it, just remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I remember it. And I, maybe I'm at the point in my age that I, I need help. I don't know. But today I pray for God's help as we talk about Jesus, the one and only. This week during VBS, the kids started learning. Their theme was Galactic Starveyors. This beautiful backdrop that's here is a picture of what they learned about. They talked about the fact that they searched the skies and God's word to uncover God's truth etched in his handiwork. They discovered that the God who created everything there is, the knowable and the unknowable, the visible and invisible, wants a relationship with them. That's what they were studying. The theme came from Colossians chapter 1. Therefore, that's where we're going to be turning to today. And they learned that from the very beginning, God had a plan to restore the relationship he knew that we would break. God sent his son Jesus to be our savior and Holy Spirit to be our helper, and from the very beginning to the furthest reaches of space and beyond, nothing is outside of God's control or beyond His grasp. God loves us and will never leave us. Jesus is the one and only. And if you would, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And I'd like to read just a portion of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, which those of you who were involved in Bible school will notice were the theme verses of this, this past week. It says in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version translation of the Bible, and here's what it says. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Will you pray with me, God? We open your book and ask, God, that you open our hearts. That, God, you would help us to see the truth and that you would set us free. Give us courage through your Holy Spirit. Act on what you tell us because you always tell us the truth. And we're grateful for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus, the one and only. You know, I have to admit, I feel pretty inadequate describing and explaining Jesus. It's really overwhelming. What kind of words do you use? They, they never will add up. Kind of reminds me of, of Charlie Brown. You know, Charlie Brown, the great theologian, Charlie Brown? You know, are you familiar with Charlie Brown? Anybody ever heard of Charlie Brown? Okay, thank you. I'm just making sure you're with me, okay? 
I'm going to need a little help. You've got to help me out today. Charlie Brown one day, he and Linus were lying on the ground, looking up in the sky, looking at the clouds. And Charlie Brown said, wow, look at that. And Linus said, yeah, over there, that, that looks like a Rembrandt. And over there, that looks like a Picasso. And oh my goodness, look at that. That, that looks almost like a sculpture by Michelangelo. Charlie Brown said, well, I was going to say I saw a horsey and a ducky, but never mind. That's kind of how I feel describing Jesus. Because Jesus is the one and only. In fact, in these verses that we read, you'll notice that he uses a big word. In the end of verse 18, he says, Jesus, that he might be preeminent. That word preeminent means Jesus is the one and only. That's our topic for today. Jesus is the one and only. Of all the people who have ever lived in the world, people estimate that there have been 60 billion people who have lived on planet Earth. Of those, about 6 billion are living right now. And of, out of all those billions and billions and billions people of people, there is one person who stands head and shoulders above them all, and his name is Jesus. But understand this, he is not just a human being, he is God. And as we'll see in these verses, he is the one and only. In fact, Jesus is so important that every word that Jesus ever said has been studied, scrutinized, analyzed, dissected, thought about, compared. Every word that Jesus ever said that were written down. For more than 20 centuries after Jesus was here on earth, there has been not a moment, think about it, not a moment over 20 centuries, there has been not a moment when there were literally millions of people studying his word. What he said made a difference, and what he said changed the world. So much so that... A few moments ago, I talked about the offering and us supporting missionaries. Do you realize just in our little neighborhood of the Christian world and Southern Baptist life that there's not a moment of any day when the sun sets on Southern Baptist mission work around the world? Not a moment that somewhere somebody supported by our missions efforts isn't telling someone about Jesus. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. Someone wrote this. They said, Jesus never wrote a book that we know of, but yet, oh, how many books have been written about him. Thousands and thousands of books have been written about him that would fill all the libraries of the world. He never painted a picture that we know of. But yet, how many great works of art has he been the subject of? Jesus. Never wrote a song, but yet, oh, how many millions of people around the world on a day like this are singing about him. Jesus. He is the one and only. So much so that we, even when we look on our watch or on our iPhone or on our Fitbit or whatever it way, clock, whatever way that you keep up with time, understand that Jesus so much impacted the world that we count time by him. In fact, we mark it by B.C., before Christ, or A.D., in the year of our Lord from that point forward. 
That is Jesus. He is the one and only noted historian Kenneth Scott Latterett said of Jesus, Jesus had more effect on the history of mankind than any other human being who ever existed. Someone said to explain Jesus is impossible, to ignore Jesus is disastrous, and to deny him is fatal. Oh, I wish I could explain to you the importance of Jesus. But yet, God's word explains him very clearly. Notice what it says here. First of all, it says of Jesus that Jesus alone reveals the Father. He is the one and only. Jesus reveals the Father. The first part of verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, God is made visible. That's what it's saying. God in His essence is spirit and we cannot see Him. He's unseeable, unknowable, unapproachable unless someone pictures or helps us to see what God is like and introduces us to Him. You see, reason is not enough for us to know God. Ritual is not enough for for us to know God. Religion is not enough for us to know God. Jesus is the only way that we can truly know God. It says here in this verse that Jesus is the only one who makes the invisible God knowable. He is the image of the invisible God. You cannot fully know God who created you unless you know Jesus who reveals the Father. That's what this says right here. It says He is the image of the invisible God. To to understand what an image means, first of all, image, this word means to manifest or to show that which is difficult to see or explain. It's kind of like when you look outside and you see that the trees are blowing. Why? Because wind has made itself manifest. That's the picture that's here. Jesus helps us to see what we cannot see otherwise, and that's God the Father. But not only that, Jesus as the image of God means that Jesus is a picture. 2 Corinthians puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter... I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter... 4 says this. 2 Corinthians, come on, you can do it, Don. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, here's what it says. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, for with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let us let light shine, let let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus makes the unseeable seeable. He helps us to see the un to know the unknowable. That is Jesus. He reveals the Father. Ezekiel chapter 1 says it this way, And above all the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, the appearance like sapphire. Seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. I'm reminded of all the stories in the Old Testament that show us that Jesus reveals the Father in so many different ways. I I think about, for example, those three Servants of God who were thrown in the fiery furnace. You remember that story? The king said that they were to bow the knee. They would not do so. So he threw them into the furnace. And when they 
did so, the furnace was so hot that those that threw them in, they themselves were burned and killed. But yet they looked in the furnace and they said, wait a minute, there are not three people there, there are four. And the fourth looks like God. Jesus showed up. That's exactly what it was. John chapter 14 puts it this way. Jesus reveals the Father. It says in John 14, Philip came with a legitimate question. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Jesus says, look at what I said, look at what I did. Is it not obvious that God is here? God reveals himself through Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He helps us to see God who cannot be seen otherwise, we see it in Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is the manifestation. He is a living out of the personhood of God. But also, Jesus is a portrait. On the next slide on the screen, you'll see that there is a, a picture of, uh, of my family from Easter. Now, if I say to you, this is my family, you'll see on the screen that... Uh, on the left is my oldest son, Tim. He's going to Liberty University, so that's where my prayers and my money are going, okay? And on the right, he's, he's 21, and uh, he's eligible. And on the right, we're taking applications. Uh, and on the right is our soon-to-be 18-year-old son, Chris, who is the tallest of the bunch and loves to remind us of it. He's a senior at Glenver High School, and in between there's an ugly fellow there, and, and my beautiful wife, Janine been married more than 25 years. Now, if I say, this is my family, you've heard people say that when they whip out a picture and they say, this is my family. It really isn't their family. It's a picture of their family. It's dots of color or ink. Jesus is a picture of God the Father. He shows to us what we cannot know otherwise. He reveals to us what we cannot see unless we see it in Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father. That's what Colossians 1 verse 15 is saying. He is the image of the invisible God. But secondly, don't miss this. He also says that he rules the universe. It says back in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, by Him, by means of Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And don't miss this. And in Him all things hold Together. Not only does Jesus reveal the Father, He rules the universe. It says that He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, please don't be confused when you see that word firstborn to think that it means that Jesus was created like some will come and knock on your door and try to tell you. That's not what that means at all. In fact, it goes on to say that He is before all things. So it's not talking about Him being created to be firstborn means to be a, in a place of honor and authority. In the Old Testament, there's a big word called primogeniture. Now, that's a, 
That's a $50 word if you want to impress somebody. Say, the pastor threw down a word today I'd never heard before. Primogeniture. You know what that means? It means that the first is the place of honor. Like, for example, the firstborn in the Old Testament. It says of Jesus that he is the firstborn of all creation. He is honored above all things. Why? Because he created all things. He is the firstborn. Psalm 89 puts it this way. David is saying of Solomon, Also I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. And it is quoted in the New Testament talking about Jesus. He is the one and only. That's what I'm getting to. That's what these... This passage in Colossians is saying Jesus is the one and only because he rules over all creation. It tells us that he rules over all creation for several reasons, at least three. For example, he says in verse 16, For by him all things were created. And he says, in other words, it says that Jesus made everything. Anything that was made was made by him. Things visible and invisible. And then it explains that the invisible things include the order of the angels and explain thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. That's referring to the ranks of the angels according to the Bible. So God, through Jesus, created everything. Everything we see and those things we can't even see. Those things that are in the sky, all the stars that are flung into space, Jesus created them and he knows them by name, Scripture says. But not only that, he knows each one of us individually. He knows us because he created us. Don't you dare say that you're here by some accident or some fortuitous occurrence. You're here because God created you. Jesus created you. He made everything. So therefore he can rule over it. Secondly, these verses say that Jesus is the goal of creation. It says he is before... I'm sorry, the end of verse 16. All th- yes, all things were created through him and for him. That means that Jesus is the goal of creation. He is the focus of all things are culminated in Jesus. And then don't miss what it says at the end of verse 17. It says that not only that, but it says that Jesus holds the creation Together, it says, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the power of creation. If we'll go back, please. We'll go back. Thank you. Jesus is the power of creation. Jesus made everything. You know what that means? That means that if you believe that creation is here without God being involved, if you are a believer in evolution, you have several problems. The first problem you've got is the problem of what the Bible says. It says, in the beginning, God made. Okay? So you got a problem with the Bible and elsewhere in Scripture. It speaks of the fact that God created everything. The second problem you have is, is actually with science itself. Now, It's not just a Baptist preacher telling you this. There are scientists that testify of this. For example, Sir Fred Hoyle of the British Academy of Science, he's a leading mathematician and biologist, a leading astronomer as well. He shook up a lot of people in the scientific community when he said this. Now listen, this is a scientist, not a Baptist preacher talking, a scientist. 
He said, we must now admit to ourselves that the probability of, a, of life arising by chance, by evolution, is the same probability of throwing six on a die five million consecutive times. Have you all ever played a board game where you roll the dice? This man, who's much smarter than all of us in this room, who studied these kind of things, has said the likelihood of evolution being the origin of the universe is the same probability of you taking one die and rolling it the same number consecutively five million times in a row. Scientists said that. He went on to say this. He said, let us be scientifically honest with ourselves. The probability of having life arise to greater and greater complexity by chance is the same probability of having a tornado tear through a junkyard and form a 747 airliner jet at the other end. God created everything. If you don't believe that, then you got a problem with the Bible and you ultimately have a problem with science. I could go on and on about that, but suffice it to say... Jesus rules over creation because he made everything. The second thing that we see about Jesus and creation is he is the goal of creation. It says everything is made for him, verse 16. Everything is made for Jesus. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Philippians 2 says this. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what that means? It means that we have an answer to the question that so many people are asking. So many people today ask the question, what is this world coming to? They read the newspaper. They follow the news. Maybe they read some blog or maybe they keep up with what's going on in the world. And I hear so many people say, what on earth is this world coming to? You know what this says? It's coming to Jesus. That's what it says. Ultimately, all of the world, all of creation is coming to Jesus. Third thing about creation and why Jesus rules over it is because he holds creation together. Notice what it says at the end of verse 17. You may not have ever noticed this before, but it says Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. In other words, without Jesus, everything flies apart. In fact, you have the truth of Jesus stamped on every cell in your body. Did you know that? Several years ago, I was at a little talk. A fellow named Giglio, Louis Giglio, was speaking, and he explained this thing in such an incredible way. He talked about the stars and the heavens, and I wish I had time to get into that maybe another time. If you all invite me back to give me another chance, I'll talk about that. But he talked about a, a little molecule that's in every one of your cells. It's called laminin. In fact, it's making the waves of Facebook. Y'all ever heard of Facebook? This little video is making its way. And it talks about, he talks about this protein, laminin. Now, laminin is the molecule that makes sure that all of your cells hold together. And on the right, you'll notice that there is a drawing of it. Looks kind of like a cross, doesn't it? In fact, in the middle, the center image is actually a picture of laminin in an electro electronic microscope. That is a picture 
of every cell in your body is stamped with the image of Jesus and someone else on the far left explained. That's, that's a picture. That's exactly what it's talking about right here in verse 17. It says, in Jesus, all things hold together. All things hold together. Jesus is the one and only. Why? Because he reveals the Father. Because he rules creation. But don't miss what it says at the end of these verses that we read. Verse 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus alone reconciles the sinner. That's my third point for today. Jesus reconciles the sinner. Jesus reveals the Father, yes. He rules the creation, yes. Jesus and Jesus alone reconciles the sinner, the lost. There is no other way to be saved than through Jesus. That's what it says right here. And he made peace by his cross. Elsewhere in this very same chapter, verse uh, in Colossians chapter 1, you'll notice in verse uh, 13 and 14, it says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the great reconciler. Oh, praise Jesus, because it's Jesus who reconciles the sinner. And all of us are sinners. Every single one of you are sinners. I'm a sinner as well. And God reconciles us through Jesus. Romans 5.8 says it this way. That God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In June of 1980, when that Baptist pastor came to my home and, and knocked on my door and sat in our living room with my mother and I and explained to us that Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And I said, I want to follow this Jesus. God reconciled a sinner, a 12-year-old boy who changed my life. Has that been your experience? Has he reconciled you? We all need reconciliation. <laughs> this story is told of a couple that had been married more than 60 years. Throughout their life, they shared everything. There were no secrets between them, except in the top of the wife's closet, there was a shoebox. They never talked about what was in the shoebox. They never opened the shoebox. It was uh, the one secret that they kept between them. And his, the wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And the husband said to her, Well, honey, um, since our, our time might be short, can we take down that box and open it? She said, Sure. They took down the box and opened it. And inside were two crocheted dolls and more than $90,000. Quite a secret, wasn't it? The woman told her husband, he, he, he said, what is this? This is, <laughs> I don't understand. And she said, well, you know, when we first got married years and years ago, my grandmother told me that if I and my husband ever had an argument, we need to work it out. And if we can't work it out, 
I need to keep it to myself, talk to Jesus about it, and I would crochet a doll. And he said, that is amazing. He began to cry and he said, you know, after all these years, after more than 60 years, we've been able to work things out to reconcile always. And after 60 years, only two times, only two times were we not able to work things out because there's two dolls there. And she said, well, you have to understand that Every time I crocheted a doll, I would go and sell it at the market for $5, and that's how she got $90,000. Anytime you have two people in close relationship together, you need reconciliation. In fact, I would say that marriage is the art of constant renegotiation. That's just the way it is, folks. Of course, you know, when you get 10 Baptists in a room, what are you going to get? You're going to get 25 different opinions, right? Isn't that true? We all need reconciliation. This text tells us that not only does God, through Jesus, reveal the Father, not only does Jesus rule the creation, He is the one and only, but it says here that He reconciles the sinner. And He didn't just do it by saying, be forgiven. The scripture says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Imagine it this way. Imagine that all of us and all of our sin and all of our unholiness are over, are over here on, on one cliff, on one edge, over, over here in this elevated area. And uh, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. There's things that they keep us from being who we ought to be and doing what we ought to do. There are things that we do that we shouldn't do, things that we ought to do that we don't do, and that keeps us over here on this cliff. And, and there's a great chasm in between, and on the other side there is God who is unlike us. He, he never make mistakes, makes mistakes. He, he never messes up. He never has to call for plan B. He never has to say, oh my goodness, I never thought of that. What do I do now? He, he never sins in any way. He is completely, totally imperfect. So much so that it separates us from Him because He is so much different than us. But that chasm that separates us from God, it is bridged, according to this verse, it is bridged by the cross, the bloody cross of Jesus. That's what it says right here. Making peace by the blood of His cross. God could have forgiven us and reconciled us in any way he wanted to. He could have written in the sky the gospel. He could have come to us individually and spoke to us in a still small voice and said, you are forgiven. But he chose to use his son Jesus who died and his blood was spilt that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be redeemed. Therefore, Jesus is spoken of in the Bible as both the just and the justifier of God of us too. God. See, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Jesus is the one and only. He's the one who reveals the Father. He's the one who rules over creation. He is the one who reconciles the lost. And I'm so glad to tell you that he is my Savior, and I hope he is yours. I love Jesus. I love him with all of my heart. 
I showed a picture of my family. I love my kids. I love my wife more than they. But I love Jesus even more. I want you to love him in that same way. Hebrews 1 gives a great explanation of these verses. Hebrews 1 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, the great maker of all things, would put into the mind and heart of people that would write it down, people who never got together to think about it or talk about it. He revealed his word so much so that these authors all tell us the same thing. Hebrews 1 is almost a paraphrase, a a summary, cliff notes of what we read in Colossians chapter 1. Now, how does that happen unless God does it? Many years ago, there was a great preacher, Dr. Robert G. Lee, pastor in Memphis, Tennessee for many years, and here's what he wrote about Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ, Son of man without sin, Son of God with power, literature's loftiest ideal, philosophy's highest personality, criticism's most supreme problem, theology's Fundamental doctrine, Christianity's cardinal necessity, heaven's bread for earth's hunger, heaven's water for earth's thirst, heaven's glory for earth's shame, heaven's grace for earth's guilt, heaven's hope for earth's despair, heaven's love for earth's hate, heaven's peace for earth's strife, heaven's forgiveness for earth's sins, heaven's life for earth's death. That is Jesus. I wish I could describe him to you. He's almost indescribable. Jesus is the one and only. To explain Jesus is impossible. To ignore him is disastrous. To reject him is fatal. I'm talking about Jesus, the one and only. Let me conclude by saying to know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. And to trust him is to be forever transformed. This week during Bible school, they talked about how the relationship with God began in the very beginning, how God created the world out of nothing, created stars and planets and galaxies like we see displayed up here. God did all of that. But His greatest work, His greatest wonder, it is human beings like you and I. That's how the relationship began. Then during Bible school this week, they also talked about how the relationship with God was broken. How ultimately, because of sin, we who were created in the image of God, that image became tarnished and broken because our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. And so because of that, we're, we all follow along their pattern. And so the relationship is broken. But also in Bible school this week, we talked about restoration with God is promised. God promised that he would make all things right. He began with that promise way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And God said that he would send his son and the seed of the woman. And that's exactly what Jesus is. He is that promise. 
but also in Bible school this week, we talked about a relationship restored. A relationship with God can be restored. Your relationship with God can be restored through Jesus. It is possible, the scripture says we just read right here, through the blood of his cross, by trusting in him. Also Bible school this week, we talked about the relationship continues because when you come to trust Jesus, he changes you and he gives to you a gift, a beautiful tribute, a, a promise, an inheritance that's put in you called the Holy Spirit, which allows you, when you open his book, the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear and says, you know what, this is true. If you do not hear that in your mind and heart, Ask yourself the question, am I truly a child of the king? Because God always tells you the truth. And the author of doubt is always, always the enemy against us. You know, this morning we've been talking about Jesus, the one and only. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Or perhaps you have a relationship with him, but it certainly has dimmed. It certainly has been a struggle. It certainly is something that you wrestle with. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the one and only. And you want to see God, look at Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, we're reminded of the truth that Jesus is the one, the only. And we're reminded, God, that he is worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our adoration. He's worthy of our loyalty. He's worthy of our following. He is worthy of our trust. And God, I pray for these, my friends. I pray, God, that you would take this truth that we've considered today and may you write it deeply upon the stone tablets of our heart that we might never forget that Jesus is the one that saves us from our sins. Lord, we know that we're all sinners. We all fall short of what you would have us to be and to do, to say and to act. But Lord, through Jesus, you forgive us and give us the opportunity for a new start, a new life, a life of hope. Because I'm sure there are many within the sound of my voice who are struggling with hope. There's sorrow and hurt and pain, brokenness all around us, Lord, and sometimes it even comes with us wherever we go, like a, like a satchel or a backpack. We take it with us, Lord, but Lord, we're reminded that your word tells us that Jesus makes all things New. Lord, may you make someone new today, we pray, that we might trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. It's a song we're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I want to offer to you an invitation to embrace Jesus, whatever that means. Maybe it means that you have never come to bow the knee to Jesus and you need to make him the master of your life. Or perhaps there's a burden on your heart that you'd like to give to him because he is the one and only. He is the burden bearer. Whatever decision you need to make, step